Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Chalo's Wine Market in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with creative consultant Aileen Bennett. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. As you may know, I do a number of other things professionally aside from hosting this radio show and podcast. I'm a business consultant, a brand designer, an illustrator, and I contribute to a newspaper column in The Advocate. It's a weekly column called BU, in which I interview Acadiana residents about their lives. All of these various strands of my professional life have remained pretty much unrelated and distinct from each other until right now. Due to a set of unconnected circumstances, I'm now sitting across the lunch table on my radio show and podcast from my boss at The Advocate. Kristen Eskelson is the managing editor of The Acadiana Advocate. Kristen oversees the newspaper's daily operations in Acadiana. Kristen, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Eileen. When a newspaper was a physical object you picked up in the front yard every morning, we called everything in print that wasn't paid advertising news. Even news of dubious importance, like the contents of People magazine, was still regarded technically as news. Then, along came the internet. Today there are multiple avenues for getting the written word out into the world. There are online newspapers and magazines, websites, blogs and social media. There's such a wealth of written material that we had to invent a new category to describe it. That category we now call content. You no longer need a publisher to get your content read. Anyone can publish anything they want. And, as you know, they do. The problem we have now among the millions of pieces of content that are published every day is how do you get someone to find your contribution to world thought? Content management has become a specialized brand of marketing and publicity. Here in Acadiana, one of its leading practitioners is Rodney Hess, Vice President of Rally Marketing in Lafayette. Rodney, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. Kristen, we all know about the enormous economic challenges that newspapers are facing. With access to information that's posted online almost the minute it happens, it's become more difficult to convince people that reading the news the next day in print has any value. The fact is a good journalist can frame an issue, give it context and deliver information in a way that you simply can't get on social media. Newspapers cost money. Reading social media and pretty much everything else online is free. To bring together both of these worlds, newspapers have begun charging people to read their content online. The most up-to-date information I can find from the New York Times says that nearly 4 million of their subscribers, 3 million of them are paying to get content. The process of charging online readers to get access to the news is described as putting the news behind a paywall. So let's start there. What have conversations been like at The Advocate about erecting a paywall? Um, so conversations about the air quote paywall um, typically go something like this. Um, why do we have to put our content behind a paywall? We're, don't call it a paywall. It is um, a meter and it is based on how often and how deeply people consume our content. Um, okay, I'm not going to call it a paywall, but why do we have to charge for it? Well, we have to charge for it because 
unlike the guy who is sitting in his basement publishing whatever he wants, wherever he wants. We look for people who are educated and we make sure that they have specific training and we invest in all sorts of equipment and you know we hire attorneys to make sure that we our public records requests um, yield something valuable and all of that costs money and we think it has value and we think it's an important part of our community and of our democracy and we do not think that five or ten dollars a month is too much to ask for it. I think people see advertising mm-hmm. and think that pays mm-hmm. for everything so right. do you have people paying for online for the advocate right now? We do. We do. We have, I want to say, um, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but we looked at it. We, we launched our um, metered, metered content pay model about three weeks ago, and I think we have about 800 online-only subscribers. Now, that's different from our thousands of print subscribers for whom they get online content so if they, already. Yeah, if they yeah, subscribe to the print included. edition, mm-hmm. online content's mm-hmm. included. Yeah. Rodney, there used to be this line between news and advertising. If you had a business and you wanted to get the word out, you had two choices. If you paid to get your message out in a newspaper, on TV or radio, you were an advertiser. If you were lucky enough to get a journalist to cover you as part of the news, that was called free publicity. Today there's that middle ground called paid content. Paid content sounds like a term that's designed to hide the truth of what it really is. It sounds like what we're meant to think we're reading is something objective and journalistic, but what we're actually reading is advertising. Is that in fact what people in marketing mean by the term paid content, or does it mean something slightly less sinister? (laughs) Uh, I mean, marketing now, I mean, let's be honest, prior to the online world becoming as ubiquitous as it is, only certain people were allowed to really get their message out on TV and radio. And that were the brands that had money. The internet really made that a lot more accessible to the small guys, which is a great thing. But what also happened is that it just meant that the internet was also inundated with poor quality content. We've all been on websites where when you scroll down to the end of the article, there are suggestions for other articles, which are all spammy and all terrible content. That's one of the things that at least we try to shy away from in marketing, but you are correct in that paid content is a very large piece of what we do to get our content out in front of people because it's affordable now and a lot more people because of the way that uh, journalism is struggling, they're all a lot more willing to put paid content out there. Is the point of paid content to fool the reader into believing it's unpaid content? So I am very much in favor of labeling any type of paid content as paid content for a few reasons. One, it's dishonest if you don't, which I feel a lot of people approach marketing or have the sense that marketing is dishonest in nature. To me, I want to connect to people who honestly want to connect with whatever brand I'm I'm pushing. Is it meant to read like a story and so we are convinced it wasn't really paid for? There have been instances recently, which I completely agree with, where an influencer has promoted a product 
or some specific content where they did not label it as such. However, the FCC is not going after the influencers. The FCC is going after the brands who paid for it. So I think there is some truth to that, that question. But if you're operating from a, a position of honesty, then it's something that you're aware of and cognizant of and have those safeguards in place to ensure that people know what they're reading or seeing is a paid advertisement. A lot of people um, ask me as a journalist um, what I think about paid content and assume that I have a problem with it, but I don't. You know, um, we have been um, experimenting with sponsored content for years, and I'm totally fine with it as long as it's transparent and we tell people what it is. If one of our advertisers has a story and they want to get that story out to people who they think will be interested in it, I have no problem saying, okay, you paid us money, we'll write that story for you and we'll slap a label on it that makes clear to people this story did not come out of our newsroom, it's not based on our news judgment, this is a story from one of our advertisers that we think you know you would like. So you have both. You have one foot in both worlds. You mm -hmm. have like a real paper that actually right. you know gets printed, and right. then you have this online thing. Do you judge what goes in them differently? Yes. How do you make those decisions? Is it on just what's going to be most popular for clicks, or is it going to be? Um, no, I mean, you know, obviously I want to give people um, what they want, and you know when people say you know what's most popular for clicks well that just means you gave people what they wanted that's why they clicked on it but I, I really it's it's two different audiences and there's overlap but we look at the timing of things and the immediacy of things and um, look at utility so for example a story about um, a uh, traffic issue that's happening today that we think is really going to be valuable information for you as you navigate your day. I mean, I'm not going to put that in the newspaper. That's <laughs> yeah. not going to be very you valuable. You don't need to tomorrow. read about that tomorrow. Yeah. But even you know, like there are lots of little sort of quick hit stories that are utility stories that we think can help people right now, and um, you know, and sometimes those make it into the newspaper in a different format, what we call like second day stories. Um, or they make it into the newspaper a few days later after we have some time to talk to some experts about it and give it some analysis and really give you a much more developed story. Is there pressure to be the first person out with a story these days? Is yes. it about timing? It's about it speed? is. I mean, there's always pressure, but um, I don't, I don't want to be the first person out with the wrong story. I want to go back to something that you said, which is the creation of stories. And I feel like a lot of businesses and a lot of marketers really miss that, that approach to things. Mm -hmm. it's, if you can create a good story, then you're golden. And right. on, in, these, in these times where you can create a good story online, you can have anything. Mm -hmm. And just not focusing on the self-promotion side of things. Focusing on what makes a good story is paramount. And I have been telling... Um PR people that for 25 years. It's not, that has nothing to do with the internet or video or anything. Tell a good story that connects with the audience. It doesn't matter, um, you know, what 
platform it's on. Rodney, can you define a good story? I know that's a big question. It is a big question, but to me, a story is something that you create that is personal, whether it be personal to a person or personal to a brand. But it's it's not just saying, you know, we increased click-through rates at this much and we did this. It is this person came to us with these struggles and these pain points. And based on our understanding, here's what we created. And that's just from our marketing side of things. But creating a story is really remaining personal and trying to connect with as many people as possible in the information that you're giving them. People don't connect with stats. Whenever you can tell a story, it activates portions of your brain that aren't activated with just giving them numbers. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking with Kristen Askelson from The Advocate and Rodney Hess from Rally Marketing. We'll be right back after this very quick break. You're listening to Elder Lodge, Emelian Bernier. I'm talking with Kristen Eskelson, Managing Editor of the Acadian Advocate, and Rodney Hess, Vice President of Rally Marketing. Talking about personal stories, this is the part of the show that we call The Interview. It's got a very serious name. You both interview a lot of people, both for positions in your company and for your work. And lately, there's been this interesting trend in job interviews. It consists on asking job applicants questions that test their ability to think through a problem. I have a list of 20 of these interview questions in front of me, and I'm going to ask, <laughs> Rodney's rubbing his hands together with glee, I'm going to ask you each to pick a number between 1 and 20, and I'll ask you one of these questions, and let's see what happens. Who wants to go first? Rodney, pick a number between 1 and 20. Let's go with 8. You're a new addition to the crayon box. What colour would you be, and why? I would probably be some shade of a natural color because I either wear black, tan, or some kind of muted color. That would be my answer. I don't have a specific color. Why? Because I don't like to... I feel like I've got a pretty... I'm approaching this as a vain person who considers their style as something paramount to who they are. So... I want your question. <laughs> we can happily switch. <laughs> Christian, we're stalling. Pick a number between 1 and 20. Um, 14. If you woke up and you had 2,000 unread emails and could only answer 300 of them, how would you choose which one to answer? Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> um... I, that might be my favorite reply I ever. I wouldn't choose very carefully. And I would inevitably miss something important because I would look at them and try to answer all of them and go through them in chronological order until I became completely overwhelmed and realized it was fruitless. And then I would just start deleting. So if we're in an interview situation mm -hmm. and I've just answered like that, do you give me a job? Yes, <laughs> because you're honest and transparent, and I can relate to you. <laughs> See, I would have loved that question. <laughs> everybody wants everybody else's question. It's questions. so funny. Please, answer the question. Oh, um, I, would, I would go by who I like the most and who pays me the most money. Which of those comes first? There's a mixture of the two. I think the people that I like most are far fewer than the people who pay the most money. Wait a minute. Do you like people that pay you the most money? <laughs> Not necessarily. 
Where would my but email be on that list? Your email would be at the top, Aileen. Absolutely the very, very top. And Kristen, let's ask you the crayon question. And I would wear blue because it brings out my eyes. And that is how my eyes are a very important part of how I manipulate people. Rodney, I'm going to ask you both a similar question. Rodney, I call you and I say, hey, I need you to make my brand go viral. Do you invite me into your office immediately? Is this something you can do for me? If you call me with that question, then I roll my eyes (laughs) because you're not in front of me. And I explain that creating something with the intention of going viral is almost always going to fail unless you have a ton of time, a ton of money, and a ton of resources to crank out enough content that something is going to become viral. In our case, I can create something that I feel will have shareability, but I cannot ever guarantee or even promise or even hint at the fact that I can create something to go viral. If you would ask me that, I would ask more leading questions because I feel like a lot of people have just a misunderstanding of what going viral means. So I would ask you more leading questions to see if it is possible that we could work together by setting realistic expectations in what we could both get out of this relationship. Christian, the same but a slightly different question to you. If I call you and I'm like, I want you to write about my brand, but pretend it's not my brand, would you write me a story? Um, Aileen, that's not how any of this works. <laughs> so um, as soon as you uttered the word pretend, I would have to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> because um, I can't do that. So again, you know. I would ask more questions. We would have to have a conversation about what it is that you, what message it is that you're trying to get out there or what story it is that you're trying to tell because it's possible that it has some news value and it's a good story. Um, But yeah, I I would not ever agree to pretend something. So Facebook and Instagram, you both rely quite heavily on them in your jobs and yet they're always changing. How do they affect and what impact do they have on how you do your, your work? What's interesting is that I got to where I am by staying ahead of topics. I like that, Rodney. I got to where I am today. (laughs) Well, I'd be downplaying if I said that it wasn't about connections and who I know and people that I've met, but... And radio shows. And radio shows. But a big portion of it is that I have stayed on top of any trend that comes around, whether whether it be a trend that disappears a month later or a trend that has some kind of staying power. But you can wake up in the morning and Facebook may have changed their rules. Which has happened last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Otherwise it's, known as Tuesday. Exactly. <laughs> it's about being able to stay nimble and being able to roll with these changes and determining if this change is really going to have an impact. Anytime a change rolls around in social media or Facebook or whatever the case may be, People act like the sky is falling. When I can't tell you how many articles I've read that have said SEO is dead. SEO is never going to die. It might become the way... SEO is search Search engine engine optimization. optimization. It's the words you put in that people put in as search terms and that's how they find content. To organically find your content It's the things you put in deliberately so people can organically find you. That's right. There is an algorithm that is a part of it. Now, the way that we've adjusted to it is that we don't offer SEO as a standalone service. SEO is a part of everything that we do. 
which I think that's the way to approach it, similar to the way that Facebook approaches content and organic visibility. In 2018, Facebook came out with an update that essentially killed what little organic engagement a brand could get on Facebook by saying that to get more visibility, to get more engagement, you need to have real, open, honest conversations within your comment section. What's interesting is that they created this rule almost in response to the whole fake news issue that happened during the election. But what type of content gets the most conversations going but divisive content that riles people up? That was just a side note. What happened was a lot of brands started going more into Facebook groups because that's where conversations are happening. So you might say 90% of what we do in this group is just useful, helpful information. 10% is going to be self-promotional. What happened was when that happened, Facebook has now made Facebook groups a priority in terms of what they're going to show consumers when they log on to their app or their desktop because businesses have flocked there. Make no mistake that Facebook is a business and Facebook wants to make money. Even though we see it as a free thing, it's essential to both your businesses. Kristen, how does Facebook and Instagram and the other sites affect what you do? So, you know, when I started in journalism, <clears throat> I'm going to age myself, like, the internet wasn't even a thing. I don't even know what it was. It probably existed somewhere. And you wrote stories and no one had an immediate, they could write a letter uh -huh. to the editor that came <laughs> at some point, but there wasn't an immediate, right. no, right. or I don't like this, right. or... Do you know what we did to figure out how our stories were resonating with our audience? We would get focus groups together and we would do eye tracking tests as they read the newspaper. We've come a long way. Um, but you know, our audience moved. They no longer are going out to their driveway and picking up newspapers. They are going to social media for news and interaction and you know, a lot of people, that's the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning is pick up their phone and check social media. So we just try to put the news where they are. Um, and. Sometimes that's on their newsfeed, and, and sometimes it's in a group, you know. Um, I'm in Cat Moms of Lafayette, and <laughs> when we have a <laughs> story that I think will be of interest to Cat Moms of Lafayette, that's where I go to, to share it. Sorry, I'm just laughing about Cat Moms of Lafayette. I'd like to it's ask... A thing. I'd like to ask you a question based on a recent experience that I've had, and this isn't just the only experience I've had, but... I was recently at the state capitol where I attended a panel in the role of uh, the internet within journalism. And what mainly seemed to be discussed during that panel was how difficult social media has made journalism. And I'm probably going to isolate a few educators. My sister's an educator. She's going to hate me. But I look at it as the same way where a teacher says, oh, kids these days have such a short attention span because of social media. Where to me, social media isn't the problem, or I guess it might be, but it's not going away. So how do you, it's not the fault of social media that you haven't evolved to succeed within social media. I don't think it's the fault of any one thing. Um, human behavior changes over time. It always has, it always will. And, you know, and recently, human behavior 
has um, has caused people to um, give up print newspapers and interact more on social media. It also is a reflection of the fact that um, we are bombarded with news and content. Every, we are bombarded with stuff all day, every day, and so. It, I don't. I focus less on social media and how difficult it does or does not make things, but I focus on how is anything that we write going to stand out in that melee of just stuff that bombards people every day? Because you have a nanosecond to capture their attention and to make them see that what you're what you're putting out there has value. I guess this is what I find so interesting is that a lot of people think that people who browse online have such short attention spans nowadays. But I can tell you, my children will watch a 25-minute YouTube video if it catches Of someone attention. taking Lego out of a box. Exactly. Right. Or someone just playing a video game. Whereas when I was a kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist because I saw Jurassic Park. My kids want to be a YouTube star because they saw someone playing video games and making so much money. No matter what side of the political or lifestyle fence you're on, there's no question that we all seem to be paying more attention than ever to the news these days. If you're in the news business, you're forced to spend time figuring out how to get people to pay for this attention they're giving you. If you have any other kind of business, you're spending time trying to figure out how you can best use social media and online marketing for free and what exactly you need to pay for. Kristen and Rodney, you're both in the center of what seems like an ever-evolving, interconnected world of news, publishing, and marketing. I'm sure we could have this whole conversation again in a couple of years and everything will be different. I look forward to that happening. In the meantime, thank you for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Aileen. It was a pleasure. This was great. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Kristen Askelson, Managing Editor of the Acadiana Advocate, and Rodney Hess, Vice President of Rally Marketing. You can find out more about Kristen and Rodney by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morrell. Our researchers are Anne Christian and Ali Coates. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsacadiana.com, and on our It's Acadiana Facebook page, and on Instagram. These photos were taken by Lucius A. Fontenot. You can find out more about Lucius at lafphoto.com. You can get this show and past shows as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify. And you can find all of our podcasts at itsacadiana.com. You can keep up with us between shows on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You'll find those links on our website, itsacadiana.com. Out to Lunch is a production of ANO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Alien Bennett. Thanks for joining me today. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana. Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Marcello's Wine Market Cafe on Calis Saloon in Lafayette. Marcello's is open for lunch Monday through Friday and dinner Monday through Saturday, serving fine Italian cuisine with a full range of fine wines. The Out to Lunch Acadiana theme music, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitchell Foreman and performed by Mitchell Foreman and Andre Michaud. Out to Lunch Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana and Destin Ortego from The Opportunity Machine. 
Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from the Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Cali's Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. 